Welcome to Dragon Talk. How's it going? This is an official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. My name is Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelly Mazanoble. The Maltese what? Noble. Are you foreshadowing? Oh, are you foreshadowing? Yes, exactly. You are the Falcon. Um, yeah, I wish I was. That would be so cool. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm foreshadowing because we have an interview with uh, Kyle. The the Maltese Falcon himself, Kyle Balda. <laughs> uh, he is a uh, animator and director. Uh, you might have seen him on sub- such films as uh, Despicable Me oh, Three, just a little something. Minions. Oh. Uh, we're going to get to the bottom of uh, uh, how the Minions came about. That's pretty exciting. Yep. Yeah. We we're recording this intro after we've done the interview, so we already know what's going to happen. We know things. It's and gonna, Joe Hill said it's a really good interview. Yeah, it's so. going to blow minds. Uh, no, he didn't say that, but I'm just I'm extrapolating. That's what he would say that it would blow say, minds. He, he did say it was a good interview. Oh, like, oh I don't want to like put words in his mouth. You're all good. But before we get to that, we're going to have a, a a segment, and then I'm going to do a little bit of announcements. Should we do some announcements? Oh, uh, it wouldn't be a folks? podcast without it's Greg true. Tito shilling his true. announcements. So uh, uh, I'm not even going to talk about Tomb of Annihilation anymore because people have it. They're already playing it and they probably uh, already died they love it it's great it's out everywhere it's in D&D Beyond Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds there's the Tomb of Annihilation board game which is available in game stores it is like the biggest box it is the D&D Adventure (laughs) System game they all have that same size box the same height you really have to like clear some space it's got all the miniatures that you need in it there's two versions there's the premium version as well as the standard version the standard version has minis that are all one color mm-hmm. you can paint yourself it's uh, still cool the premium are all painted ones uh, it comes at a little bit of a higher price point but you get tons of minis in there you so don't if you just to paint your own mini if you're just looking to stock up for your, your tomb of annihilation game or D&D in general that's not a bad way to do it plus Good you idea. get to play uh, a really cool system where you can play Dungeons and Dragons uh, with your friends with no dungeon master kind of focuses more on the tactical play uh, there's I think there's 12 or 13 scenarios in there uh, that you can play through uh, and get some of the adventures. And you play as uh, Artist Simber or uh, an era coker named Ashara. She's Ashara. a wizard. There's a tabaxi <gasps> in there as well. Wow. I know. Good stuff. Birdsong, the tabaxi. Oh, cute. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Bait, the Soriel Paladin. He's in there. I think there's one more uh, in this. I think there's five actually available in there too. Uh, you'll get it. It's all good stuff. Uh, Xanathar's Guide, everything is coming out very soon. It is November Woo-hoo! 10th. It's going to be uh, that is very soon. in game stores, if not after you actually listen to this uh, in podcast form. Hurry up and get it because the alt cover is going to go fast. It's an alternate cover designed by Hydro74 himself. It's different. You can only get it in game stores. The same content is all in, in the center of it. And the content of it is pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of subclasses, 27 new subclasses. Crazy. Two, at least two for each class uh, in the player's handbook. Tons of stuff out there. If you're interested to find out about some of those subclasses, go to dndbeyond.com because there's been tons of videos that Mr. Todd Kenrick has been doing uh, with Jeremy Crawford and Mike Merles. Getting to the heart of what Good each of job, these subclasses Todd. are about. I know. It's been really fool. Yep. Fool? It's been really cool. It's been, no, the cool kids say fool. <laughs> it's been fool. It's been so fool. Oh, my gosh. Can we start some slang? Yeah. I haven't done that since I was, I like, mean, 14. Yeah. You have done it? We got to be like, let's call this is something cool now. And it was standy. I think it was like, that's cool. That's that's standy. That's standy. <laughs> I don't know why. Mean? There was in a bus that said no standees allowed. And I was always like, what is a standy? Let's just make it up. Like, it's a, it's a thing. Standy. Yeah. Standy. Like dandy, but standy. Yeah, S- T-A-N-D-E-E. Like, yeah. Like, that's a person who stands on a bus is a standy. Huh. Ridiculous, I right? feel like they should be standers. Right? There's a better way to phrase it. Yeah. All right. So those of you making uh, uh, all the signs for uh, school buses in the Northeast, you're on notice. 
burn notice. All right. Uh, what else were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. They are out on early access in Steam right now. It's an idol game where you can do tons of fun stuff like sending your party out on adventures. They kill monsters. They collect loot. And it all happens in real time. You don't have to do that much. You don't have to do that much. And you can do it all using some of the characters from Forgotten Realms lore such as Jarl Axel or uh, 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 Minsk and Boo are in there as well. Uh, And you can also play as the Force Grey characters. So uh, all the people from Force Grey, Lost City of Omu, uh, are in there, including Hitch and Jamila and Arkan, Joe Manganiello's character, who stole the Hand of Vecna on Critical (gasps) Role, but now we're crossing the streams. I'm not really sure what's real anymore. Um, But it's pretty cool. So if you're interested in checking out those characters, because those guys are coming back. Lost City of Omu, we're doing it at 5 p.m. on Mondays. And uh, we're going to do a special show in New York City, November 18th. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be four hours of Dungeons & Dragons play. Matt Mercer is coming back from his honeymoon to play in Brooklyn, New York with these guys. Uh, Unfortunately, Brian Posehn won't be able to be there, but the entire other cast will be there. And maybe some some guests. It'll be really fun. Uh, So mark your calendars. November 18th, if you're in the New York area, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time there. It's going to be pretty cool. You should check it out. Find out more information on uh, the Dungeons Dragons website where you can buy tickets. Uh, we'll get you all the links that you will possibly need. And you can also follow our Twitter feed, which is at Wizards underscore DND. You'll get all the information for that show there. Uh, and we'll be dropping more and more as it's coming out. Uh, also, Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation. We mentioned this board game. Yep. There's a digital version of this board game out on Steam right now. It is pretty awesome. It's a single-player experience that has tons of replayability. You can go through all the scenarios in there, including more scenarios. Uh, I think up to 29 is what Fred from Becom told me uh, when I interviewed him on here. What? Lots of scenarios, and they change up in difficulty, so uh, you can replay them, get better loot, get better stuff. There's a crafting mechanic that's not in the, the base game. Yeah, you can make your own like weapons and items and stuff. I know. Pretty cool, right? And then uh, uh, there's, there's treasure chests you can also get in there and uh, uh, traps as well as leveling up your character uh, as you progress through it. So tons of fun. It, it gets that idea of uh, a tactical grid-based game um, that you can play by yourself uh, in, in Steam, you know, in, you know, on the PC. So I suggest you go check it out. It's called Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation. If it continues to sell really well, which it has been already, uh, they might do some of the other adventure system games, so like Castle Ravenloft, which comes up a lot in this interview, uh, Wrath of a Shardalon, as well as, uh, I got there's four of them. There's Tomb of Annihilation. Legend of Drift. Legend of Drift was when I was forgetting. Wrath of a Shardalon. Castle Ravenloft. Temple of Elemental Evil. Temple of Elemental Evil. That's right. So this would be the fifth one. So hopefully uh, if you go out and get it on Steam right now, you'll be able to get uh, a lot of that money churning and they'll be able to develop all the other ones too, which I think would be really cool. So go check that out. Again, it's Tales uh, from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, they are available on Twitter at Tales Candlekeep. Um, and uh, they're always doing streaming here on the D&D channel, so you should check them out for that too. Extra Life is coming up November 3rd and 4th. We're going to be playing lots of Dungeons & Dragons for all of you. It's going to be cool. Uh, it's going to be fool. It's going to be fool. <laughs> Stay Andy. Stay Andy. Uh, right. So it's going to start off November 3rd from Game Hall Con in Madison, Wisconsin. Mike Merles is going to be Dungeon Mastering. Uh, some people from the d team as well as Satine and Rudy. Lots of fun things from, from Azar Con. I'm just saying Satine and Rudy like you know who they, we are, know but, they are. But everybody knows who they yeah. are. Uh, they're good stuff. They're stream on our channel on uh, Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. They got a new th- shows coming up. I'm going to talk to you about those in a little bit. But <gasps> on November 4th, it's going to be lots of people playing here in the Dungeons & Dragons uh, office here at 
in uh, Wizards. We'll be throwing it to Encounter Roleplay. Wills and uh, uh, Sid will be playing. Uh, Lauren Urban will be dungeon mastering from here. I'm playing in there uh, Whoa, in that game. Fun. And then Sean Woods is going to be dungeon mastering. He's a uh, concept artist. I didn't know he was a dungeon master. Does a lot of the art uh, for Force Gray as well as our books. Uh, so he's dungeon mastering. He's already created his own flyer, of course, you know, like you do. Like artists do. They're so good. Yep. Um, we are getting really close to uh, going above all of our thresholds for raising stuff for Extra Life. And as we get up higher and higher, we'll be unlocking more stuff from Xanathar's Guide, everything that you can check out. Uh, but a cool way to get stuff, uh, uh, you know, get that number up higher as well as getting some cool content is to buy the Tortle package on Dungeon Masters Guild. It is a way to play as a Tortle uh, through D&D Adventurers League. It's totally legal all under that. Uh, and it uh, details a uh, the life cycle of the turtles as well as uh, their their settlement on the southern end of the peninsula of Chult. It's good stuff. It's only ten bucks. All of the money that would go towards uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, from that is going towards Extra Life, and Extra Life all supports Seattle Children's Hospital and children's hospitals across the country and the world. Uh, so it's for the kids, man. Yep. It's for the kids. the kids. I have an Extra Life page. Go check it out. It's at, uh, you know, I think you can search for Greg Tito just on Extra Life. Uh, but uh, I, I periodically link it on my Twitter so you can check it out there. I'm at Greg Tito. Um, raising lots of money there. And then I think a lot of other people also have their own pages. And if you want to play Dungeons and Dragons on November 4th, you can join the Dungeons and Dragons page and all contribute to all the money that Dungeons and Dragons as a whole is going towards uh, Extra Life, which is super cool. We also have the team, Magic the Gathering, who's uh, getting lots of stuff. Uh, yep. I participated in that a couple weeks ago. Uh, they played Magic uh, as well as Dungeons and Dragons in their new setting of Ixalan, which is very similar to Chult and the jungles of, of things. Dinosaurs. I wonder how that happens all the time. Um, but it does. And so they've got uh, a lot of great uh, initiatives up there too. It's and I the think water. you might be able to buy some cool stuff uh, uh, or get some nice stuff sent to you if you uh, follow them. There's also a shirt that's designed by Emmy. Emmy yeah, Tanji so made a D and D Extra Life shirt that you can also purchase. I think it's twenty five bucks. Uh, Palm, you want to put a link into the, into the chat as well for that? It's good stuff, um, and that's an easy way to to wrap your Dungeons and Dragons, you know, crew. So, what kinds of stuff are you giving away? What's your incentives for people to donate? Oh, so you can get uh, uh, you can basically uh, you know say what my the name of my character is, what the class or race combo is of it is. No, they haven't. Nobody has. They've just been donating. So nobody's called out. So if you want to call out and make you know shape the character that I'm going to play on November fourth, you need to uh, get in there and claim it right now. I might do that. Do it. Do it for the kids. It's good stuff. Uh, all right, and then I was also Grung. Don't forget the Grung. You can also purchase uh, one Grung above on DM's Guild. It is not Adventurer's League legal, so keep that in mind. But it's only five bucks, and that's basically how you can create a player character to play as a Grung, uh, similar to one Grung above in uh, Chris Linthy's weekly game, which is on uh, Wednesdays at two p.m. Pacific time. He checks while looking. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> And that is uh, with Dungeon Master Chris Lindsay, Satine Phoenix, Rudy Rutenberg, Lauren Urban, and Sig Neutron. They all play as Grung. Pretty cool stuff. Um, I mentioned uh, Maze Arcana. Sirens of the Realms is Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time. That's an all-girl band of bards. 
um, with DMs, Satine Phoenix, Vivid Vika, Amy Vorpal, Maud Garrett, and Kate Elliott. Man, they have been doing like impromptu jam sessions as part of the their, their thing. The art for their characters is amazing. It is so cool. It is so cool. So, so I suggest cool. you check that out Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time um, as well. Rachel Seeley and Erica Fermina from Girls Guts Glory are playing Neverwinter on Monday nights at 8 p.m. They're going all the way through all that content. It's really cool. You should check that out. On Wednesdays, we have the High Rollers Dead Reckoning with DM Mark Holmes. And then I mentioned one growing above. And then we're back with Maze Arcana Theory's Fate at 6 p.m. On Thursday, we have uh, Codename Entertainment Idol Champions. And then Destiny and Doom, our newest show uh, for this current season of stuff on our Twitch channel, 3 p.m. Pacific time. That's uh, um, DM Lauren Urban, Oboe Crazy. Uh, you might see her in the chat very often. Uh, as well as Mika Burton, Dante Basco, Kraken, and Jack Patillo, all friends uh, from the Rooster Teeth kind of family of stuff. Good stuff. They just hit level two, and they learned of the mysterious curse that's afflicting local bartenders. You know, like <laughs> like happens. Uh, so they're just getting into some of the fun Tomb of Annihilation storyline. Uh, that's Thursdays at 3 p.m. Uh, we'll be hosting uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, the C-Team, uh, as well as Critical Role. And then on Friday, it's Roll20 presents Tomb of Annihilation with DM Adam Coble, Distracted Elf, Andrew Gillis, Dave the Human, and Blue Jay. Uh, she is so named because she has blue, blue hair when she's Jay. streaming. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, Tales from Candlekeep will be playing through uh, their Tomb of Annihilation adventure system game, if you want to check that out. Saturdays, we got Encounter Roleplay, Learn by Play, Dungeon Master Will Jones and uh, Sid Shields, who we spoke to a couple... We know them. Yeah, just a couple... God, that was just last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They've aged so much since right? then. Right? <laughs> They're a week older. Uh, Jay Tosquale, Josh Mann, and Louise Moore are also in that. And the cool thing about it is that Will stops the action every couple of minutes or so and tells you what he did as a dungeon master. So if you're learning to try and figure out how to increase your dungeon master skills in any way from beginner to advanced Very or cool advanced to expert to amazeballs, uh, <laughs> this is the way to do it uh, at 3 p.m. on Saturdays. 6 p.m. Heroes Graveyard with Trump and Koibu and friends. Uh, that's a very cool game. I, Trump was actually in the office uh, last Friday, so we got to say hi to him. Uh, he's playing some some cool magic stuff, Magic Arena, uh, out there. Uh, but Heroes Graveyard is very cool because it's a, if you die, if your character dies in the game, uh, it, that, that player does not play in that stream anymore. So it's it's like a permadeath type thing. He's bringing in lots of folks uh, from the video game side of Twitch uh, to play in this. Do they so die often? That. Is it like a meat grinder? Perhaps. Perhaps. Yes, they're definitely playing meat grinder mode. So yeah. it's, it's, it's quite lethal. Uh, but I like that because it's churn. You get more people in there. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, and then Sunday, we like to host our Maze Arcana Orphan Echo friends. That's them playing in Eberron, uh, sanctioned by Keith Baker, designer of Eberron. Uh, and then, of course, 3 p.m. Pacific time, the streaming of Girls Guts Glory is happening there. That's with Dungeon Master Kelly uh, D'Angelo, new Dungeon Master. Uh, Kellen Coleman is a new player. Uh, and, of course, Kimberly Herdago, Kim Adago, is playing in that as well, too. So good stuff. A lot of the same folks from, uh, uh, from the last... Uh, incarnation of Girls Guts Glory in there and there having a tons of fun at when uh, um, you know when the, the Twitch servers are working we'll just leave it at that alright guys uh, I think that's everything I'm going to show for us today so we My should get right God. to our uh, amazing segment you want to listen to that sing- segment yes do you want to bang it up bing bong bing bong Welcome. 
Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am your host, Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Matt Sarnett. And today, uh, as we do on all Lore You Should Know segments, we dive into little bits of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Forgotten Realms uh, lore and history and uh, uh, eke out things that you can use in your game, perhaps. Uh, and today we're going to talk about Mistra and the Weave. Indeed. Uh, and by the Weave, we mean how magic works in the Forgotten Realms and why it works. Uh, and how the goddess of magic, Mistra, who used to be Mistral? Mistral. Yeah. Mistral. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that and yep. how that shifted and changed through all of the editions and uh, and what it's like now, what our current thoughts about how magic works now in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Big big topic, but we're going to jump right in. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, um, Mistra starts out with the Forgotten Realms from the get-go. She's the goddess of magic. And um, the idea that she was once someone named Mistril and uh, that there was other gods and so on before that, that comes later. Mm-hmm. So just sort of publication history-wise, she's the goddess of magic. Uh, the idea of the weave I don't think really appears until basically the Avatar Crisis in second edition. Oh, okay. Where then that becomes a plot element that's used to describe essentially what's going on in the world and why magic works differently and why these weird things are happening and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so um, it is sort of this element that's created for the brand to help tell this particular story and then it gets incorporated. And, and so then there are um, multiple occasions and later in this various stories, whether it's uh, adventure or uh, novels or whatever, where some individual is trying to take control of the weave. So the Netherese very famously fall because one of their members tries to take control of the weave and become the Lord of Magic, and that happens in sort of the um, history of the world, along, you know, far earlier. And and then there are other characters along the way. Char tries to take over the um, the weave. I think Cyric does it once, and Char maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lolf does as well. It, you know, it's like, and so it's, it becomes this sort of thing. That, and and uh, what's really, I think, um, the most interesting thing about the weave at this point and uh, um, for, for people to just sort of think about or, or use in play is really the idea of what it, of how it sort of ties into how spellcasting works in D&D and how it becomes sort of a metaphor for what spellcasting is. Mm. So um, with the idea of the weave, these sort of strings of magical who's what's it going through the universe, it's um, you know, sort of like the force, it's th- going through everything kind of a, a deal. Yeah. Um, there's the concept with somatic and verbal components that you know, you're somehow kind of tuning and plucking the weave. Mm. So when you're doing these weird things with your hands as a wizard... Uh, you are moving around these threads, invisible threads in the air. Oh. And when you, like, pull out the fluff from your pocket or the bat guano or whatever, you're sort of using that on those invisible strings or some sort of structure that you're making. And maybe when you say the somatic components or the the verbal components, you're kind of singing a little another song or a note into that that sort of structure of threads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a really interesting way of thinking about, like, what magic spellcasting is. And, again, that comes much, much, much later. That idea of what ma- you know, spellcasting is, is is relatively recent because even the idea of somatic and verbal components is something that comes in and just basically advanced Dungeons and Dragons. The original base d- Dungeons and Dragons. Didn't have anything d- like Yeah, that. whatever. Right. So... Um, and then, you know, when you think about, okay, that's how wizards do it, right? And it's, it, 
and then, you know, it becomes something where they have to sort of create these structures and plans for how they're going to do these spells, and that's why they have to memorize spells. And it's kind of elusive, because once they cast those spells and do it, then they kind of forget about it. So this kind of makes it this weird sort of elusive philosophy that wizards have to follow. Yeah. And that makes sense, because they have to be really super intelligent in order to do it. Whereas uh, a sorcerer kind of just grabs some threads and hucks it, <laughs> and something happens. And they've got like you know four or five different versions of that hucking thing that they can do. Right. But that's that's a talent that they have, and they, they exactly. can do the other things or learn and, other things. And like oddly enough, if you, again, it's like this kind of thinking about what magic is and what spellcasting is uh, kind of comes in now, and it kind of helps explain later earlier things. So, it, sorcerers were really a class that were invented in third edition. But in second edition, there was the Netherese, and the Netherese didn't have to memorize spells. They could just sort of cast a certain number of spells, and it very, you know, very much like sorcerers. So you can imagine the Netherese are actually more like sorcerers than they were wizards. Mm. And so then, you know, what does a priest do when they're casting their spells? Are they doing the same thing with a Hamana Hamana? No, they're probably saying, "Hey, Torm." Please, <laughs> okay, help me cast a spell and then pointing the finger and hoping that, you know, the thing happens. And so, so there's the idea thing. that the, it, for divine spell casting, they're asking uh, uh, their, their patron or their divine, their deity to do that weave for them or are they totally separate? I, I mean, I think they're probably asking the patron to do that. But, but essentially that patron is also in front realms, definitely, that, that's also using the weave. So because oh, when... Okay. You know, if there's holes in the weave, essentially, that's an area of dead magic where where no magic works at all. You know, divine, yeah, arcane, anything doesn't matter. Like, so you, if you're a god and you walk into that area of dead magic, you you got nothing. Yeah. Um, and there's also areas of sort of wild magic where it's just kind of doing its own crazy thing. And uh, and then the spell plague added another wrinkle with areas of spell plague where it was like doing this weird diseased version of magicy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I really like that metaphor because I think it just sort of helps do lots of interesting things about how magic works. Um, and was, was just going back a little bit to Mistra, did she create this? You know, like, when did the history... I mean, I know we, we kind of only know about the, the weave now more, more recently through, through our books, but, like, in the mythology, is she the first person who is able to see these things, or were they always there... Well, or, or did she create them? It's a little unclear. I mean, basically, the the, the, the basic idea is that Mistril, as she was originally called, um, and, and uh, Mistra, as she becomes named, and then Midnight, who was immortal, who took over the role, becomes Mistra. Uh, they, they're basically one and the same with the weave. Like they, they kind of like are the weave as well as being a, a, a deity of the weave. Interesting. And so, um, you know, Mistra is to a large degree thought of as, uh, I mean, in the realms, she's thought of as sort of like a good deity because people like magic. But basically she's neutral because all that stuff happens. What You know, whatever evil spells are cast, she's... Right, she doesn't make judgment yeah, she or not empower Step them. in, right. right. You know, she's just letting it happen. So did did the Overgod, you know, Io create her and magic? Unclear. Yeah. Totally unclear. And, you know, she's had... Mistress is kind of interesting because she has had um, evil uh, sort of... 
oh, I forgot the name of, the, of, of what they are, but like she, she's empowered over time, um, not just the, the chosen and stuff like that, but other individuals to be, I think they're magisters or something like that. And so one of them that she empowered, for example, was the, the person who started the cult of the dragon mm. and went crazy with that power and stuff like that. So, so like she's basically occasionally kind of giving um, mortals uh, more or less superpowers with magic um, because they're furthering the cause of magic somehow and stuff like that in the world. Oh, okay. It's very strange. That is interesting. So... Um. Now, when, you, when people, you were saying there were other deities who were trying to take over the weave, how, if she is the weave, uh, you know, as one interpretation of this is, how would that even yeah. work? Is it more like a MacGuffin that just have been used? The, the basic idea is whomever that is, is attempting to kill her mm-hmm. and, and, and supplant her, basically. And so that moment of her potential death is usually what causes all the calamity. So, like, the fact that um, you know, the one Netherese guy decided, I'm going to become the god of magic. Uh, he tried to kill her and with a 10th level spell or something, 11th level spell, I think. <laughs> Anyways, and uh, that caused basically magic to just stop in the world. And, and that caused all sorts of calamity and stuff like that. So um, it's interesting because the, like the, the whole idea of how magic works in D&D, that you, that, you know, you have uh, sort of a limited repertoire of spells and that you forget them and so on, is generally ascribed to um, sort of the idea of Vancean magic. Yeah. And that's from the... The um, Dying Earth stories. Dying Earth stories, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like that... When you think about, like, when all these stories are being developed and when Dungeons & Dragons in general is being developed, it's in this really early stage for um, just fantasy as a genre because mm. like The Hobbit came out I think in 37 or 38 and basically that's around the same time that Gary Gygax is born mm-hmm. and then uh, The Lord of the Rings is first published um, in 54 I think so he's only Gygax is only like 16 or something like that when The Lord of the Rings comes out and yeah. so all of the impact that um, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings have on other fantasy mm-hmm. is happening while Gygax is um, growing up. And so, you know, Conan is coming out then and all these other things like that. And so, you know, the fact that those had the kind of impact that they had to sort of create what D&D is, um, it, I mean, it's all kind of just co-developing and, and rattling along right, you know, right. together. So it's, uh, you know, the fact that magic didn't really have uh, a system for like what it was until say you know sec- basically advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, there's verbal, somatic, material components, and then still it was kind of like eh, there's divine and yeah, but they just worked the same way because that's easier and yeah. you know blah 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 blah. Like you know, it's just kind of because there wasn't. You know, if you think about you know when you went to the the library, the bookstore, or something like that, and you wanted to buy uh, a novel about fantasy, it was like. Well, you can buy The Hobbit or The Wizard of Oz, or you know, like, it wasn't a lot of developed thought about that kind of thing. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, like, because it was uh, uh, it was such a nascent development, even in the '70s, as you know, Guy Guess and Arneson were making uh, Dungeons and Dragons, that it. Yeah, like, like the the whole idea that that you know what if you have a if you have a world of magic and a world of fantasy that you need to f- understand how magic works is 
is something that I think um, authors still struggle with yeah. when they're writing fantasy novels. Because so in fairy tales and things that were the you know what informed modern fantasy, it was just it works. Yeah, it well, doesn't need to, it doesn't yeah. matter. It just is. It's just the major premise of what's happening right, right now. And uh, and you're right with the sophistication and and proliferation of, of fantasy now. People want to know more. They want to come up with right. the systems, and probably there's some back and forth there between science fiction and fantasy of like, hey, these things are neat, but wouldn't it be cool if we actually could figure out what it wor- how it worked? And that's why the metaphors of, of, of playing with the weave actually make sense, and that was developed over time. Yeah, and, and really, I mean, that that is just something that's come about with fifth edition, because if you asked, you know, when we were doing third or fourth edition, how people cast spells, it would just kind of be like, well, they... They just they do the stuff and then I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and then things happen, right? Like, yeah, you know, the effect happens. That's all right. that was important at that time, right? That's interesting. Um, so you know, if someone's developing their own uh, system of magic or things like that, what's what's uh, how some of this conversation can you know uh, think about how they would think about you know, their their homebrew? Yeah, system. I mean, I I think that the the weave. Is one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, that's a really nice metaphor for just how D and D works, right? Um, but there's there's other ways to to do it. I mean, there's there's been for a long time the theory that wizards are kind of tapping into elemental forces, or um, you know, they're 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 tapping into kind of like they're going through sort of the astral or the ethereal mm-hmm. to sort of bring magic to them from those places, and that somehow saying the right words and knowing the right spell is like a formula that unlocks some portal for that magic to occur. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a perfectly workable system, and, you know, if that's how you want to play with it. I, I think there's lots of fun things to do with, with just sort of the origins of powers. Uh, I mean, warlocks um, in particular are a great way to kind of play with that idea. Um, so are, of course, clerics and paladins and so on, where, where there's an individual who's sort of giving you the power to do X, Y, and Z, and right. stories can relate from that inter- sort of relationship. I like that too. But then there's all, it's also okay for, you know, to, to either use what's in place. So, like, you know, if you're in the Forgotten Realms, just being like, hey, this is Mistra, is, is what magic is, and you can kind of think about it that way, or just to be. Uh, you know, you cast spells and things happen. Yeah, yeah, because it's easy Ugh, stuff. Let's right. play a game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, if you want, if you want to sort of like ascribe some creator of magic, right? Like you know, in in uh, Forgotten Realms, there's also the idea of the Nether Scrolls and kind of this secret of magic and stuff like that. And so, you know, there might be in your game some individual who figured all this out, who is this person who is the originator of all of these spells yeah. and stuff like that. So. And it is funny, I didn't even think about it uh, when we were going to start having this discussion that this is where it would go, but I feel like the development of the idea of magic as uh, something that is very, very powerful but could be abused and could, you know, could lead to things is a very Cold War idea of, you know, basically how we, you know, came to grips with using the atomic weapons and all that, and, and you know, Oppenheimer's you know, Death Destroyer of Worlds. I mean, there's a lot of that all mixed up in D&D magic, mm-hmm. you know, of, like, even the Netherese story of, like, you know, you can, you can be too advanced that you lose sight of what is, you know, good and right in the world because you can use these, these very powerful weapons that isn't that better than it. Even Greyhawk itself, too, had the two warring factions, and that's why there's a big desert, and there's, you know, well, and, and echoes of this in, in all of Dungeons & Dragons. 
Yeah, and you can see some of that. I mean, obviously, in, in the Lord of the Rings, I mean, there's a, there's lots of parallels there. But yeah. essentially, you know, there is this one magic power that's super powerful, and it's doing this evil thing, and we need to go and take it someplace and get rid of it. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, right. I mean, that's that was very much like a, a weapon that is inherently evil. Right. I think magic is different in that in that it, there, it, it can be good, it can be bad, but you know, it's it's a power that needs to be you know reckoned with or governed mm-hmm. or you know have the, the the, you know, the more moral people, you know, be able to yeah. and control I, it. And I think, you know, if you look at things like Harry Potter and so on, there's another sort of attempt to kind of rationalize how magic works and, again, to sort of tell a very similar story in that sense of, like, you know, you can use this for good or for bad and, you know, we need to have their sort of moral quantity or so on. Whereas if you look at other stories that employ magic, oftentimes it's, it's just... Um, you know, it, it's as good or bad as shotguns and bazookas, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they're just whatever; they're things. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it's really it's really fascinating. So, I mean, you can you can uh, uh, use all that in your game. You can have it be a, a centerpiece as part of what you're talking about. It can be just a background of like there being, you know, this is the weave and this is how it works. And you know, Mistra may or may not, may or may not be, uh, 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 you know, an agent of good or not, or you know, but. Um, yeah, again, you can gra- gra- grapple with all that or you can just let it be the background and, and, and be a part of informing what's happening in, in the other stories that you're telling. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you're, if you're playing a wizard or, or something along those lines, it's, it's just kind of a fun thing to think about, you know, what your character does, you know. There, there isn't, for example, in um, besides a, f- a few examples in the Player's Handbook where we specifically say this is the motion for, you know, burning hands or this is exactly what you do to, or say for this sort of killing word or whatever. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the sort of what the verbal components are is kind of like, mm. Yeah, make it up. <laughs> Enjoy so improvising. Is it, is it abracadabra or do you say <laughs> something else? And, um, you know, uh, one of the things that Ed Greenwood has said over the years is that essentially um, – there isn't any specific words for a spell. So fireball, you don't have to, every, not everybody says the same thing for spireball, fireball, but they come up with their own sort of like rhyming uh, mnemonic or whatever mm-hmm. uh, to, to sort of remember the kinds of sounds you have to say in order to, to get the spell out there. I see. And so it's not even that they have to say the word fire or go or anything like that, but that there is a particular sound or tone or something they need to say in a particular rhythm. And again, that that hangs together really nicely with the idea of sort of this tuning the weave and, you know, plucking it and making sort of a a music out of, Mm. you know, this construct of magic that you're making. Nice. All right. Cool stuff. Yeah. I'd love to think about, uh, I don't don't want to say the science behind magic, but, you know, a bit of having a a framework, a logical metaphor behind it. I think it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, good stuff. Um, If people want to have tons of questions about magic and what they're verbal and somatic and uh, 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 visit... All curse words. (laughs) That's... I'm... (laughs) <laughs> I'm a, a profane wizard. Yes. <laughs> wizard of profanity. Uh, how can they get in touch with you and ask you uh, what swear words they should use? I am at Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T, on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, great. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's it for this Lore You Should Know segment. And uh, we'll be back with more next week. Sweet. Nice. That was a really good segment. Did you listen to that segment? Yes, of I course. loved it. Loved it too. Really liked that we were able to uh, both educate and entertain you with yep. that segment. It's not easy. 
Yeah, I really get props to Chris slash Matt slash Jeremy on what they did for us. Yes. Right? As always. Just got to give him that bump. Yeah. And then we're going to spike it down. And now it's time to call up uh, Mr. Kyle. Mr. Kyle Balda. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hello. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? It's Greg. Hey, Greg. We also have Shelly here. Hello. Hey, Shelly. Um, and we are excited to talk to you uh, as a uh, creative person who likes to make films that uh, people, <laughs> our listeners may have heard of, uh, such as Minions and Despicable Me 3. But then also you're a, a longtime Dungeons & Dragons fan is, is the rumor. Is that, oh. is that verifiable? <laughs> that is that is absolutely verifiable. Nice. Um, I did have a, a a quite large hiatus from the game until recently, um, but I played for for years and years in my youth and just rediscovered the game uh, earlier this year. Actually, oh no way, cool! Oh, how did that happen? The rediscovery. The rediscovery happened because I just moved back to the states from Paris, where I'd been living for the past fifteen years, and mm. uh, my son lives in Phoenix, and so this allows us to to get together more frequently and him and his girlfriend and I were just walking on Venice beach and just out of the blue, he said, Hey, do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? <gasps> and I, I instantly got really excited because, you know, I had, I had, I don't really know why I ever stops playing in the first place, but just the fact that he was excited to play. And I instantly texted my wife and said, you know, Aaron and Shantae want to play Dungeons and Dragons. And she was like, totally want, want to play. And, um, and so, you know, it was a little bit uh, too in the moment to kind of get everything together and start playing right then and there. <laughs> but um, but I, I started to, you know, I ordered the books again and started looking into it and getting ready for uh, a month later when they were going to come visit again. Um, and that was just kind of mind-blowing to see how the game had evolved since I had played when, because the last time I played, I was about maybe 15 or 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I basically got the new books, uh, and had seen like how, you know, all the new artwork and just how far the game has, has, has grown. Uh, but still kind of, you know, because I, there was nobody in my immediate circle that I could play with. Right. So I was just trying to get a handle on, well, you know, it's been years since I played and, um, I started listening to podcasts and started uh, looking up, you know, what would be a good, you know, first level uh, adventure for to, to DM these guys on. And I hadn't DM'd in so long, so I was a little bit, you know, nervous about that. Um, right. And I got into, uh, I got the Village of Hamlet is what we started with. Oh, a that's really a good old starting point. point. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was really interesting because, um, you know, just trying to get a handle again on like how, how DMing worked. I listened to a lot of the playthroughs on the the GG No Re podcast. Those guys did the did Hamlets and just listening to how they did it and mm. and um, and the thing that was really just awesome about it was when we finally all got together <clears throat> to play. How we played two nights in a row, about mm. four hours each night, and just how immersed we all got into contributing into making this story and. Uh, and like no, nobody was checking their phones, and nobody was doing anything but just completely, you know, in in present time what we were doing. So we just had, we had a blast. That is super cool. There's so many things you mentioned in that in that thing that I want to ask questions about. I know. So, so like notes. Paris for 15 years. Right. Don't uh, back to your that. your son's girlfriend's name is the god of uh, uh, the harvest in the Forgotten Realms, Shantae. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> 
Uh, I didn't even pick up on that. Right, yeah. And then, yeah, this, how, when, I want to learn more about how you started. Like, you know, what was it like when you were playing when, as a teenager? And was this your son's first time playing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And did he I know think, that you had a history with D&D? I think he knew because, um, I mean, he's, he draws a lot as well. And, and, you know, we are always looking at what we draw together and talking about this sort of thing. And he, uh, you know, he knows that a lot of my drawing history comes from having played D&D and drawing my characters and, um, oh. and the kinds of references that I have that inspired me to do animation. So, so I think he always knew that it was there. It's, I don't really know what it was that got him to be interested in it. Mm. Um, but you know, they're actually, they're on their way driving here right now from, from Phoenix. And so we'll uh, have to ask him, yeah. we'll, we'll do yeah. like a live call in from, uh, yeah, you know, from I 40. <laughs> <laughs> Can nice. you just text him real quick? <laughs> Make sure he doesn't write you back when he's driving. But so, uh, so yeah, let's go back to the beginning. How, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? You said you were uh, a teenager and was it always art or was, yeah, I'd love to figure out Did what always uh, DM or how you got started. Yeah, when I first got into it, um, I mean, it really came from when I was really little. I, whenever I was in a library, for whatever reason, I'd have to be in a library for because I wasn't very academic as a youngster. I always just used to love to draw, so I would just instantly go to the mythology section and just pull out Greek mythology yeah. books and just look at the pictures. Yeah, and me too. Um, yeah, that stuff just really inspired me so mm-hmm. much. Uh, so, and I, I would do things like uh, I was really into knights and chivalry, and I would make. Um, you know, for Halloween, I would make uh, suits of armor out of duct tape and cardboard, and and so I was really already into this into this world without having known about D and D yet. Um, I used to, as I was always drawing a lot. I think it's it's funny because there was a a cinema close to my house, and during the summer months, I would go over there and I would ask if I could draw advertisements for popcorn and coca-cola and stuff in order to get oh. into the movie theater for free oh that's cool and Good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were just being very nice to me to, to let me in but i would just go and sit and just watch movies uh non-stop and that's when i saw uh ralph bakshi's lord of the rings mm. and the clash of the titans you know and all these movies that just kind of echoed back to me all the stuff that i loved um and at the mall the local mall uh there was an old it was a, a hobby store called the hobby bench and they had this huge, amazing train set in the in the front of the store, um, which would just re- instantly pull you in. And then when you went in the back, that's when I started seeing these the D and D books. And I had no idea what they were, but they the images on on the covers of the books really spoke to me. Yeah. And so I got these books. I got the Red Box for Christmas, uh, and I think I also got the Player's Handbook. And I was like fantastic in these dice, you know, and, tr- and looking at the four sided dice and trying to figure out how does this thing work. <laughs> And, um, and then, but I didn't know how to play. I just, I, I was kind of not so clear and there wasn't anyone around to play with. Uh, and then I just got lucky because I was maybe a couple months later, uh, a bunch of my family, we have a big Maltese family. And so a bunch of us were at my aunt Mary's house and one of my cousins was there, uh, Michael, and he had been playing the game with, he was a couple years older than me. Mm-hmm. And I was carrying the books around with me everywhere just because I just loved looking at them, even if I didn't quite get it. And then he just said, "Oh, do you want to, do you want to play right now? If you, you got all this stuff." And um, no way. he let me play. He had a paladin, uh, which instantly I loved because that David Sutherland image of a paladin in hell in the old uh, player's handbook mm. that just like really caught my imagination. Um, and so I was like, "Yes, I want to play a paladin." So he had a paladin named Scorch. He's like, "Okay, you can play Scorch." 
and I'll DM you. And they, we just did this like theater of imagination thing. I had no idea what was happening. He just started telling me what was going on. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I started to like tell him I go li- left or right inside this dungeon. And then I, I remember I had, I had to fight these like giant frogs at some point. <laughs> and it was, uh, then suddenly, you know, his, his parents were leaving the party and he had to go and, and, but I at least got a taste of what it was like. And from that point I was hooked. Nice. Um, and then I just started finding friends at school uh, that were into it. Um, I had a friend, uh, old friend Philip Simon, who was a like a latchkey kid, and so he would, you know, have like a couple hours at home, waiting for his mom to come home from her job, and and him and I just started like a little campaign. We played. Uh, he was a DM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of kind of went back and forth, but we played through um, Queen of the Demonwood Pits and Tomb of Horrors and. <laughs> And I just got super hooked on, you know, draw elves and drawing Lolf all the time. And, and, uh, like you do when you're in like <laughs> that age. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she's, I mean, still for me, like one of my favorite, um, D&D villains. But, so um, that was like early 80s then? When God, that had to be like, yeah, early 80s. Something. It was right before, uh, that was back when I lived in, in, in Phoenix. Yeah. Before I moved to Tucson for high school. Um, got it. And, you know, when you move, that's one of the I was, I've been reading on the Reddit's like how oh, that's, a, you know, just these moving stories about uh, people who have campaigns and then they move and it's like then they're they have to find their community again. Right. And I got lucky because uh, in my art school in my in my art class in high school, um, I was sitting next to this guy named Darren Davis, who just could draw just amazingly well and just was a huge inspiration for me um, to kind of cultivate my drawing. And what he did was he was drawing comic strips of his the D and D campaign he was playing with his friends. Mm. Um, and he was really I don't know if you guys know Dave Sims uh, Dave Sims um, comic called Cerebus. No, um, I've never heard of that. No. Yeah, it's about an aardvark kind of sword and sorcery aardvark kind <laughs> of uh, anthropomorphic, um, really cool just black and white artwork. And he would draw those guys a lot, and he would, you know, he kind of got me into drawing more into in the fantasy type of thing <clears throat> but Very um, cool but yeah he was i mean that was that was a big part of it uh i also used to when i was in high school i was like living just outside of my school district uh so i could take the school bus as far as home you know as i could mm. which is this this other mall uh and then wait for my dad to pick me up and and i would get like a dollar every day to play video games at the local arcade and then as soon as that money ran out i would just you know start drawing um you know, in my spare time. And one day I walked into the arcade and all these kids were around this one video game machine. Like something had shifted, you know, in the whole arcade consciousness or something. And I walked in and what was this? And it was um, the, the video game Dragon's Lair. I knew that, it. I knew yeah. it. I had a feeling. I'd <laughs> come out. Yeah, and that was like, this, this is, everything's coming together. This is Dungeons and Dragons. This is drawing. This is animation. This is, you know. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't really gaming. It was, I mean, there was some light gaming to it, but it was very much like a, uh, you know, a, a participatory story that you could, you know, have, have a success for failure. For those kids who don't know what Dragon Slayer is, <laughs> who are listening on the Twitches, it was a, like a pre-video game in a way. It, it was like, you had to kind of just memorize your way through these maze of dungeons. But yeah. The animations were so incredible that, you know, I would just be putting quarter after quarter just trying to see, just get a little further in the game just to see what was going to happen. And it was played on a laser disc, if I remember correctly, too. So it was like laser this, disc. Yeah, because yeah. it was movie <laughs> movie quality animation wow. in a stand up 
video game cabinet. That was like that's why you had crowds of people watching, like in in your arcade, that's was cool. because it was it was like watching you know an animated movie. And the guy died a lot. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, if you didn't do it right, there was like these funny, you know, uh, dying animations. The deaths were like the best part. Just right. all the creative different ways like he, he could like fall into lava or be eaten by a dragon or something. Well, if you're going to uh, die. Maybe yeah. Go with a bang. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. So were you drawing your characters like all along the way? Like as, as you were, as you started playing in, you know, the, the older campaign and then when, after you moved? Yeah, I would always, I mean, that would be. I mean, when I wasn't playing with a group, I would just be rolling up characters and then drawing them. Oh, okay. And just, you know, just just to kind of be in the game and to, like, try different things out and just to have an excuse to draw. Um, and occasionally doing little little mini comic books. Uh, none of this stuff, unfortunately, that I, 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 I no longer have. Oh, uh, that's too bad. But, it's, yeah, it's, it, but it's, it was, I definitely helped cultivate me, you know, getting more interested in drawing and, and animation. That's cool. Uh, yeah, you mentioned you had a, a Maltese family. I don't I don't know much about the the culture of Malta. Is that does that figure into you know this at all? Well, I mean Malta is a very tiny little island off the coast of Sicily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sovereign state. Um, has its own language. Um, it's the it is connected with the the whole legend of the Maltese falcon and all that. Uh, there's only like four hundred and fifty thousand Maltese people uh, in mm-hmm. the world. If I if I'm correct on that. Um, in the world, so not just even on, so it hasn't spread too far beyond that island. No, no, yeah, it's very, it's very tiny, humble, humble island. Um, but yeah, my mother was from there, and her family moved over to the states, uh, probably in the I want to say the fifties. Mm. Did you ever yeah, go it's a back? Big transition. Yeah, I have been back. Yeah, I've been back a few times, um, especially as I was living in Paris. It wasn't too far away. So nice. So did uh, uh, you know? Did you did were you struck by you know were there castles and things like that that felt like you know at home in a and D campaign? Absolutely. I mean, well, Valletta, which is the capital of Malta, it's a fortified city, uh, right on you know right on the water. So there's like these amazing walls just jetting out of the water, um, and then there's like you know some battlements and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, and then you have like really old you know uh, Neolithic. Is that the right word? You know, they, the kind of like Stonehenge type of type of druid formations all over the island um Ooh. really really ancient stuff so yeah there's definitely a lot of a lot of good setting i mean there's it's also it was also one of the uh locations for game of thrones um in the first season mm. um like you know when there, there's that like archway <clears throat> kind of rock by the sea um that's that's malta cool yeah, so then when did you move to... So so I, I imagine when you stopped playing D&D like around high school, college age-ish? Yeah, the last the last campaign I was involved in was um, the guy at the arcade that I was hanging out all the time. Uh, one of the guys who was working there, uh, his name was Lon, um, and he noticed my drawings. We started talking, and he's like, well, I play D&D. And, and um, he was just a couple years older than me, and we started playing Dungeons and Dragons in the food court at the mall. And uh, he ran me through Ravenloft. And he, that was the first time because he really got into doing the voices and everything. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is really, this is like theater. This is, you know, and he was really great at it. And we, we had to stop. He had to go on his mission. He was a Mormon and he had to go to South America. So I, I had no idea that that Mormons had to do that at the time. So I was, was trying to just wrap my head around that he was going to go to South America for two years. Um, but I think that was the last memory that I had of, of playing. And then, uh, and then my son proposed it. 
That's crazy. Yeah. So that was a way to go out in a bang, though, having a, a Ravenloft and a, a theatrical experience. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is, it's, it's just because that's, um, my wife and I, I've been DMing her through Curse of Strahd for the past couple months. Oh, nice. Uh, and, you know, when I read the introduction that Tracy Hickman wrote about story um, being a part of the, about the setting, and that was the first taste that I got of that. And, and then you can just see how Dungeons and Dragons is, is, I mean, it's storytelling and it's so related to filmmaking and, and directing and DMing are, are really, there's a lot of crossover, I think, between those two things. I would imagine. Now, were you a DM when you were in high school or were you always the player? Um, I, it was like kind of going back and forth and all of our, you know, my friends and I were just taking turns and, but it's, it's definitely, you know, when I was preparing to play with, with my son and like watching dice camera action and things like this and just seeing how people were doing it and just, just how it's, it definitely is on a level that I only started to experience with, uh, with Ravenloft, you Mm -hmm. know, when I was, when I was younger, of like total immersion, getting into characters and all this well, it's entertainment now. I mean, like we're act- like just from you've already mentioned a lot of people who are streaming it or or podcasting it, but D and D is entertainment for the masses now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you cut your teeth on you know what your later job would be uh, by imagining these stories uh, uh, in your teens there. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I, I'm convinced now that you know screenwriters aspiring screenwriters should should play Dungeons and Dragons is just a way to, to exercise you know, that, that storytelling <laughs> muscle. Can we take uh, that quote and, uh, and and blaze it on every uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons you book? Be a story a screenwriter play D and D. Yeah, and directing it's, too because directing and DMing are similar. It's so similar. I mean, it's real time. It's like making a movie is like a it's like a studio musician, like studio bands, you know, and playing Dungeons and Dragons is like, a, it's like being a live band, you know, where everything's happening right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's improv theater too, because you have to, you know, one of the things when you're in a story meeting, uh, when we're trying to pitch out ideas about what, which direction the story can go and trying to come up with gags or whatever, um, there's this rule that I like to follow, which is an improv rule of, you know, don't say no to anything, just run with any idea. Because even if an idea doesn't sound fantastic at first, if you try to if people start to, you know, add on to it, uh, it can take a shape and it can become something. Yes, and. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's D&D. I mean, like, the players are just as much as a DM are, are creating the world and, and making the story. And that's, it's this living thing. It's awesome. That's always my favorite dungeon master who takes every, you know, silly idea that a PCs have and are like, well, yes, you can do that. And you will likely fail, but yeah, let's roll it out, you know, and like and, and get it going so that, you know, uh, <clears throat> the dungeon master that shuts down every idea uh, often doesn't have fun players. <laughs> Pretty yeah, it soon. Takes all the, it takes all the energy out of it. Right. Know? Yeah. So how did you, uh, uh, you know, become an animator and then a, a, a director? Uh, let's see. I, well, having drawn all the time, like I was drawing very illustratively, you know, like, tr- like rendering, like trying to use color and shading and stuff like this. Uh, and I was a fan of animated movies and this is, you know, kind of pre V VCRs and stuff like that. I used to, I remember I saw 101 Dalmatians and when I got home, I instantly tried making a comic book of it because I wanted to oh, cool. stay in the movie, you know, and, and to watch it again. It was the only way I could watch it again. Oh. And then, but I never really thought about animation as like as a career because, especially then, there was no. I was living in Tucson, Arizona. There was no direct path to to filmmaking, and 
then I was at one of my other cousins. We have a big family. Uh, one of my <laughs> other cousins' wedding, and she said, "Hey, there's this uh, friend of the family. This guy Dan Jupe. He's a Disney animator, um, and I can give you, give you his number. You can talk to him if you want." And so That's I nice. called him up. And he was just such a generous person with his time and his advice. Uh, he had been animating um, Sebastian the Crab in The Little Mermaid. And he said, well, send me over your drawings. And I, I sent him my sketchbook. And he called me up. He said, can I, can I take a red Sharpie over your drawings and give you some advice? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he just blew my mind with everything he showed me. He's like, you're drawing like an illustrator. Animators draw life rather than light you know? Mm. Um, and so you want to get the line of action. You want to tell a story with as little lines as possible. And, but he basically said, if you really want to know this stuff, you have to go to Cal arts. And, uh, so I went to California Institute of the arts in, in Los Angeles, um, and studied animation there. And it was really good timing because, um, Jurassic, I was there for about two years. I did a small internship after my first year. I worked, uh, at LucasArts games. I worked on a game called day of the tentacle. Oh, no way. You worked on that. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, we have a, a, a colleague, uh, John File, who is at LucasArts Games. Uh, I think he might have come in a little bit after that uh, uh, time, but yeah, lots of great stuff came from there, and it was it was this meld of of, of game design and animation. Yeah, so and so many talented people, and and just and I was you know such a huge gamer that that was really it, it was really fun because it was a very story orientated game where you're you it was like a choose your own adventure type of, type of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then I went back to school for another year. Um, I did an internship at PDI, which later became a part of DreamWorks. Uh, but while I was there during that internship, that's when I learned how to do 3d animation. Mm. Um, Jurassic Park came out that summer and things just exploded. Uh, so there was tons and tons of, of, you know, animated movies or movies with visual, like 3d animated visual effects. Yeah. And that was, um, the, that was the, 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 the genesis it was the CGI was on everybody's, uh, you know, the tip of everyone's tongue. And that what was that 97, 96. That was out er, even earlier. That was 93. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That was 93. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 I stopped going to school because I got a job at ILM <laughs> and, um, you know, like I, you I, do, you know, <laughs> I, could, I could keep learning, learning there. And, um, and the industry was growing so fast. I was I was quite young at the time. I was about 22, I think, when Jumanji came up. And just because the studio was growing so fast, and all the people who were senior to me, they were they were supervising Dragonheart or Casper. These were the other movies at the time. Oh, I remember Dragonheart. Yeah. Um, yeah, they said um, so. They said, well, why don't you supervise the animation on Jumanji, which was a total <laughs> trial by fire. Okay. Um, yeah, because I was. Huge. <laughs> not quite experienced enough for that. Uh, so, you know, kind of learning, learning as I went. And, um, then I got to work on, uh, Mars attacks. I did a, a very brief, uh, stint in New Zealand working for Peter Jackson on the Frighteners. Oh, cool. Uh, and he was only a kind of whispering about doing Lord of the Rings at that, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to go work at Pixar, uh, and I worked on, a Bug's Life and Monsters Inc. and Toy Story Two, oh, and then I got sort of like um, I I was an animation director on Toy Story Two, and and I just loved the mentoring part of that so much. So I thought maybe I'll I'll try teaching for a bit and traveling. I I kind of got this like wanderlust at that point, mm-hmm. and um, and so I went to to Europe, uh, which was only going to be for a year. It ended up being 
I think all said and done, I was there for about 17 years. <gasps> oh, wow. Um, How do you do this? How do you just um, get to be there for 17 years? <laughs> well, part of it was because of, of being half Maltese. So I, ha- oh, I yeah. had the European citizenship. Um, but I was just kind of, I spent the first couple of years just bouncing around film schools, animation schools. Um, like Lego Blanc and uh, the animation workshop in Denmark and teaching anywhere from like, you know, a single day to, you know, a four month um, class on on making a short film or something. And uh, then I met uh, this French director named Pierre Caffin, um, who was doing a lot of commercials. And he was he was already quite famous in animation in France because of all these commercials that he had done. Uh, So we started working on doing TV commercials together and some short subject stuff. And uh, I started to settle in Paris. And then um, Illumination started. And uh, they were were working with the studio that I was already at, McGuff, uh, in Paris, to do Despicable Me. And so I started to do... I had done a lot of animation at that point, and I was really curious about another aspect of the animation world, which was layout. And that's another way of saying kind of cinematography, um, just the staging where you put the camera, the characters, and all this kind of stuff. And it's so sort you of like, assen- like like that is the person who assembles the the shot from all the different parts because not the same animators aren't working on the trees that are working on the characters that are working on the sky, right? Like that kind of thing. So like you're the is that what the layout? Exactly. Are? Yeah, yeah. But it's also it's also like um, you're you know the way that you where you put a camera. In, in a movie is really important because just a very simple example if you if you have a character who's you know being very menacing then you like an upshot making them look really huge and then the counter shot to that might be the character who's maybe the victim in that scene and then you do a down shot making them look small so I mean that's just a really simple example but the way that you where you put the camera mm. the kind of lenses that you use can really be a narrative element in terms of the audience's experience of, of the film that's and really I interesting. Was, I, mean, I wonder yes. if, I mean, can you, can you instinctually use that in dungeon mastering? <laughs> you that know, like, one's a little tougher, yeah, because that's where the mediums, I think, start to be different because you're, I mean, so much of it is in your imagination anyway. Yeah, but uh, it's in the language and how you describe it, you know what I mean? So if you could be like, all right, you, you, know, you see this, you know, he's towering over you. I mean, I feel like I use those, those kind of like motions when I'm talking about like mm-hmm. a big monster. I'm always like, you're, you're look, it's up and it's huge and it looks so big in your field of view and like that kind of stuff. And I, I don't yeah. even think about how I instinctively use some of that technique in, in how yeah, you describe visual, it. The visual language of it. Yeah, definitely. In, in that sense, it's for sure. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's cool. So, uh, uh, and then, and then you, you, you did a layoff for a while and then how did the, how did you transition into, uh, uh, directing being like the, the, the head of honcho on, on a film <laughs> so and, and more I, importantly, how do minions relate to Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> all right. Um, well, <laughs> they're a gigantic party. <laughs> I think that, well, the first part was through having gone through Despicable Me, um, Chris Maud Andre, my, uh, my, my producer, um, and he's, you know, the, the, the big boss of, of Illumination Entertainment. And he suggested that I come back to Los Angeles for about six months and, and try directing some of the marketing materials for, for the Minions. So I, I directed those, the original three shorts that go in the DVD right. and a bunch of interstitials and little things like that. And that was like working directly with, with the Minion characters. Um, and I would say, cause this sort of ties in with your other question is, is, 
that it was really interesting working, and it continues to be, uh, working with these characters who don't have a discernible language, you know, Um, and trying to, uh, you're trying to, one thing that we always try to be careful of with the minions is to not make them creatures, you know, that they are, they are characters, they're they're personified characters, they have their own agendas, they they have wants and desires, they have feelings, uh, they make fun of each other's feelings, they, you know, um, so it's, there's a lot of human qualities to them. And I think that's one of the, the key things is, is, you know, like even any kind of beast or any kind of character that you are trying to portray is like trying to go deeper into like, what does that character want? Um, what do they feel at this moment? What are they thinking at this moment? Um, that's one of the best ways I think to try to create empathy from the audience's perspective, uh, that they can relate to them in, in, in some sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I did that. And then, um, when that wrapped up, uh, the Lorax was, was already happening and I came back and, um, he gave me a chance to be co-director on Lorax, and then that led to to Minions, where I worked again with with Pierre, um, my longtime friend and, and co-director. And he and Pierre does the voices of the Minions, uh, by the way. He does. And, yeah, he all does, of we, them. He does all of them. Yeah, he does. We we share an office while we're making the films, and he's got like a little tiny little sound booth around his around his desk, and um, he would just be any part of the day, just yelling and screaming and, and Minionese. Uh, to give us the voices for the characters. So what came first, his voice or this movie? I feel like the voice must have been in his head for a long time, and he was like, I just have to do something with this. I'm going to create these characters. Well, he's, he does. He has done in the past a lot of um, kind of voices, and he, I mean, he's always experimented with like pitching his voice and, and playing around with the texture of it you know, through, through whatever kind of dials and knobs and stuff like that technology. Um, but the characters of the minions came about because we were looking for, uh, you know, Guru had a, had an army of henchmen and some of the early designs of them looked like, like more, you know, like orcs and stuff like that, like wearing armor. And, and part of it was just from a production point of view, that would be quite a, quite a challenge to do. And then the other part of it too, was just, well, maybe there's another way to go with these characters where they could be like a softer side to Gru's character, uh, and be funny. And, um, and so the designs of them started to come out and then some animation tests happened. And then Pierre was sort of like lending his voice to help with the animation tests. Um, and then slowly it just started to be something that people got really attached to. Um, and yeah, and then he's, you know, just the way that he would find, because, you know, they're not, there's, they are saying gibberish in a sense, but there is a little bit of, um, little bit of method to it, you know, like when in the Minions movie, when they drop the pyramid on the Pharaoh, uh, the word that he says before that is pancake, you know, and just like, so there's a little, uh, foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Um, but they speak all the different languages of the world, you know, when they'll say, thank you, they'll say, oh, sorry, that's excuse me, uh, in German. Um, or they'll say like, wait, wait, aspetta, aspetta, that's Italian. So you, you get, you know, he's just drawing from all different types of languages and, and creating this this you know unique language that's really neat i feel like i do that when i have like a goblin character or kobolds or or you know little creatures who have their own language uh in dungeons and dragons and then you'll just you 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 have to make it feel real so you'll use minion-y type stuff (laughs) yeah you know to 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 get you know what's what they're communicating i've got lots of props at home if you need them minions (laughs) were uh in one of the happy meals when the movie yes, came out, yes, that's right. and we had um, 
We ate a lot of McDonald's during that time. <laughs> <laughs> but that I don't know. I never know exactly where this toy is in the house, but it will go off at random times, and I'll just hear like, "Oh my god!" It's great if you get like like twenty of them on a table and just yeah. like them all at the same time. It's just cacophony. Of yes. So I did we have, tell we have you, you to thank for that. Thank yes, you. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you and Pierre. But my, I told my son that we were going to talk to you today, and I asked if he had any questions for you or anything to tell you. Okay. And he wanted to say, hello, good job, <laughs> bananas, and I like your voice. So I don't know that he fully understands your role in the movie. <laughs> but that's, that's on you. That's, yeah, you got, you got to teach him. I explain it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain. But you can pass part of that on to Pierre anyway. Yeah, you can tell Pierre. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I will with pleasure. And, t- and tell him hello back. Okay, <laughs> I will. He'll be very excited. Yeah. It's been a big part. First, I was carpooling with uh, with Shelly for a while, and there was a banana in the back yeah, seat. Yes. And I just said and banana. Banana. And so I've been... Which sounds weird when I say it out loud, but I've been the banana man to He's your the son man. for years. <laughs> Every time we talk about Mr. Greg, he always goes banana. <laughs> so you, you, you're a minion in his eyes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I'm a big yellow guy, <laughs> or a little yellow guy with the yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way to make it sound good. It yeah. really isn't. No banana guy uh, to my son. So that's kind of, that's really fascinating. So so let's talk about after you've jumped into playing now, uh, you know, as someone who has you know chops in in the creative world and and doing it. How have you brought some of that skill to to playing Dungeons and Dragons now? De- definitely, but I mean, both. There's been a lot of learning experiences, um, and and then some uh, abilities to like you know we start. My wife and I started playing with a larger group. Uh, there's about six people from work. And we've been I like you say, like, oh, they're just work. from work. They're from the office. From <laughs> well, they, and they're all first time players, too. So, which, you know, they'd always been really curious. And so we started to, like, tell people that we, we were playing again. And, and uh, we played the first time. We're going to play again this weekend. Nice. But we played the first time about a month ago with them. And, you know, and we're doing uh, Death House uh, from the Curse of Strahd. Right. And, um, and one of the first things that happened, so my wife and I are co DMing. So, um, she, you know, got really into like effects and got a bunch of um, like you know, dry ice and strobe lights. And oh, nice! Lights and and yeah, we went kind of like went all out on like trying to make props and everything. And um, and so as they got into the house, they kind of all split up into like three different groups. And uh, and so my wife and I were looking at us like, okay, we can do this, you know. And just in terms of like this kind of cross cutting that you have to do. Yeah. Um, and, and that is really like, you know, doing parallel action in, in film when you, when you split up and you're, you're portraying different, um, different characters at, at the same time and just trying to find, you know, you trying to read the group where you're following one person's story and you're, you're, you're leading them through what's happening and, and they're, you know, telling you what they're doing and trying to find enough of like a little bit of a cliffhanger part, like, okay, you go to open the door and then, you know, you switch your attention over to somebody else right. um, so that everybody's like wants to come back to their story too. So you, you're just trying to keep, uh, you know, the rooting interest of everybody involved in everybody else's story. Um, and it was, it was so much fun. It was like, you know, like real time directing. Um, and just watching how people were just so immersed in it, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a blast. That is a blast. That and says read- a lot about your DMing too. That they're first-time players and they were that immersed in it already. Oh, well, 
<laughs> people might be a little and your, shy and, about and your wife that. and your wife's skills as yeah, DM. I was curious about her too. Like, what's her background with D and D? Did she used to play, or was did you recently introduce her as well? She um, she hadn't played before. Um, she definitely is a fan of of you know this this type of material. She you know loves big fan of Harry Potter um, and you know magic and and all this kind of lore. And um, and it's funny because she got really excited at first to play and. I went and got all the books, and then while we were waiting for the first time we were going to play with with my son and his girlfriend, um, one night I said, you know, can I can we try some of the combat mechanics because I just want to refresh my memory how all this stuff works with the new rules and everything. And she was like, okay, and she, and I just had her like fight some some goblins or something, and it was probably pretty late at, at night anyway, and she was like kind of falling asleep, and I'm like, oh, she's she's not going to be into this, <laughs> and. Um, and then, but the but then what happened is like after we played uh, with my son and you know and had that had that game, um, it was actually her motivation. who said like I can't wait until they come back next month to play again. Like, let's can, is there something we can do? Oh, nice. and uh, that's why we started playing playing Curse of Strahd. Um, and it was for me, it was like a nostalgic thing because I I wanted to see so much like how the Ravenloft world had had opened up. Yeah. Um, and but it, you know. It's, we learned a lot. We've, we've, we're, we're really close to finishing it. Uh, we played so many That's nights a week for, yeah. for a couple of months. We got really, really into it. And, um, but it was just her and I. So she, she was playing multiple characters. And, you know, it's it, just because we didn't yet have the people that we could, we could bring in to play with. Mm. Um, and there was something that, you know, I learned a lot from that, which is, because I used to play when I was a kid, I would, I would have like five characters and, you know, because it'd just be me and a friend playing all night. Um, but what you miss with that is how, you know, your sense of problem solving, trying to project it on three different characters is a little bit different than somebody else who has a totally personal, different personality than you. For sure. Um, yeah. Bringing, you know, what, how they would handle a situation and, and that creates another whole, another dynamic, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, especially for something like this that has so many different uh, uh, horror tropes in it, you know. So you have to mm. people react to that differently, or you know, fl- fight or flight kind of thing can be very very different. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I've I've been meaning to do a, a podcast episode specifically on like one on one solo uh, DMing and one player form of playing Dungeons and Dragons because I feel like a lot of people. You know that we've talked to in all these conversations. That's how they played when they yeah. were kids. Yeah, I would be very interested to hear what you do with that because it's it's. I think there it's a different dynamic that has its own value for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something about maybe just playing one one character. Um, she's DMing me on a, on a, a one shot um, that she found online, the the Wild Sheep Chase, um, and I'm playing to gnome characters i i have a thing for gnomes i guess because they're like minions but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess that makes sense but i'm playing yeah two two gnome characters and i'm playing them as a married couple so uh-huh. they sort of finish each other's sentences and things like that so in, in my head they're like they're like different sides of the same character and in, in some way oh, that's uh, but maybe that's maybe another way to go do you think all of these characters that you're creating and playing might give you fodder for a, a project and you know, in the future, like a D and D minions movie. Is, Maybe. That, what, is that what you're pitching? Or it doesn't have to be D and D. It could just be like a married this like this married couple could we could see in a future project, right? Or or some yeah, kind of semblance of. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much. Um, it's it is very fertile ground for for coming up with ideas yeah. and, and and seeing you know what things work and and seeing what what doesn't work. I mean, that's 
one of the things, you know, in, in the film industry, like you, as you get close to the end of the film, you do some audience screenings and you kind of just get a, take a temperature on how people are receiving this. And more than anything, just being in the room with other people watching a movie, you instantly see what's working and what's not working and you still have some time to go make adjustments. Um, but that's happening in real time with you, you know, with, with a group where you can see how, how they're relating to the characters that you're playing or, you know, just one example is, um, while my wife was in, in Christostrad and she was on the, on the road, um, you know, in Barovia and there was like a, an intersection or like a, a T, you know, where the, there's a, the road kind of veers off to the right. Right. And she was kind of hanging out there for a while. So I rolled for random encounters and what came up was this trinket um, that she found. And what was interesting is that she, in her mind, she married the trinket to that, where that road goes off. So she thought there was something to do with that. And for me, I was like, oh, wow, this is okay. I'm going to have to follow up on this because, um, you know, to try to integrate it into the story uh, when it actually has nothing to do with the story. Um, but what you learn really quickly is that would have been different if she had found that trinket where there wasn't a choice to be made. Right. Um, because then she wouldn't have associated it with, with whatever choice there was. And so you can see in real time how, what the audience's point of view is on this, on this story that you're telling. Uh, yeah. And it's, that's, it's just so valuable. That's know? fascinating. Yeah. Now where the, the folks that you're playing this cursus Strad with, are they, when you said they are from work, are they actually from, uh, illumination? Yeah, most of them are, and some of them are, are a couple of them are, are friends who uh, work outside the industry. Nice. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, it, it's funny because we, we wanted to do Death House just to see how, how they would like it. Um, and they're, they're all in. They just totally want to go all the way with it and do the whole, the whole Curse of Strahd. So it's, that, was, that was nice uh, feedback because we're, we're having a great time with them. So it's, it'll be fun to do that. That is sweet. Planting more seeds yeah. in the entertainment yeah, industry. <laughs> How yeah. do you and your wife handle co-damming? What's that like? Um, we, she's sort of in charge of ambience. Oh, okay. and, Obviously and, with and the dry ice and the... She's kind of nailing it, I have to say. The mood lighting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, like, the, the, the best part about it at one point, uh, one of our, our players just kind of broke character and just said, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm, I'm really scared. <laughs> and, and everybody else is like, I'm terrified right now. And, and <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so I kind of, uh, I have the, I guess the front line with the characters in terms of like telling them what's happening or like, you know, but then whenever um, they encounter uh, multiple, like when they encounter an NPC, um, Janet will do, you know, she'll do the, 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 the women and I'll do the men. And, um, so we play that way. And, and so, you know, and it's just, it's funny cause then we play off of each other and then we, and we interact with them. And, um, but it's, it's definitely great that we have each other during this because with the number of people involved and, you know, it's, I would say that I'm, I consider myself a beginner DM again, just because it's, it had been so long since I had done it. Mm-hmm. So. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Cause that is one of the downfalls when you're solo DMing is if you can't, you can't really role play a conversation between NPCs in front of the group very well. 
Yeah. Right? You know, or you try to end it as quickly as possible because it feels, yeah, exactly. Sock puppets. Yeah, oh, I should get some sock puppets. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> Throw my voice, get some ventriloquism. Hey, we got uh, socks, right? Get here. socks. We'll make it. <laughs> uh, but that's got to be great for, for, for you and your wife to be able to be like work off each other so it doesn't just feel like, you know, uh, 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 you know the, this weird person's talking to themselves. Yeah, it's, it's also amazing too, is like as, you know, I'll be in the middle of telling a story and, and, you know, saying that they're like, they enter the forest and then suddenly there's like these forest sounds just appear and, <laughs> and, and, you know, she's like driving all that stuff. So that's, that's, it's, it's just really a great teamwork. She's like the the DJ to your, uh, to, yeah. she's got like Spinderella in the background. Like, <laughs> Let me roll with the forest <laughs> ambiance right about now. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty cool. You guys should be live streaming your games, it sounds like. I know. <laughs> I would watch that. So, yeah, I mean, we don't oh, have a, a cool too much. animations in there. Yeah, I, oh, God. Yeah. Could you do improv animation? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's oh, a dungeon no. master. He just knows regardless of what <laughs> which direction they go, you're going to run into yeah. a minion. That's really cool. And, yes, minions should play D&D. Mm. Yes. That, I, oh, I agree. They would be terrible. I'm sorry. They would be really the hardest group to DM. <laughs> I know they'd be all they'd be all over all over the place, completely distracted. Yeah. Have you? Uh, so I mean, we you mentioned dice camera action, some other things. I think it, was it was it Holly Conrad that introduced us to to you? Is that right? Through Ross Donovan, is that correct? I feel like that's where we found out that you were a and d aficionado. Oh, okay. Well, I originally, I'm not sure what happened after. I, I wrote to Chris Perkins and just oh, okay. say, like, you know, amazing. The, what D&D has become is just just really cool and, and that I had rediscovered the game and just kind of thanked him for the inspiration. And then he, he suggested that we talk. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, have you been, I mean, have you been watching a lot of the streaming? Has that been uh, a part of your, your rebirth in this, this fandom here? specifically for Curse of Strahd, just to kind of to, to get ideas. And, mm. and um, then I'm trying not to watch anything else because I'm hoping that uh, I can play again in, in some other campaign. And so I don't want to know too much about what's happening yet in some of the other things like Tomb of Annihilation and things like that. So, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Would you ever consider uh, uh, broadcasting your game? Because it sounds pretty amazing with yeah, the does. dry ice and the strobe lights. Like I, I feel like that's a level of production quality that not many people have been able to bring <laughs> to uh, to a Twitch stream. Yep. Yeah. That. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, it would be. I'd be open to it. It's a. It's a. It's a, still a new world for me. Uh, so I'm. You know, it's something I'm discovering. Even just like how people are are live streaming their games and, and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. But. Uh, but yeah, definitely. It's new for us too. I mean, it's been it's been you know a trend for the last like five years has been growing, but it's it's uh, uh, been an amazing way to get people to understand what Dungeons Dragons is without having like you know people like you and your wife to be like, hey, well, let's show you how to play the game. Like you know, yeah. it's, it's a nice yep. way for people to. You still don't get it unless you actually play. I don't think, but like it's an easier uh, way to learn than than just picking up a book oh, and, yeah. and figuring out from that. It's also amazing that people can play remotely. You know, yeah. um, some of the games that I've seen, you know, there's there's somebody in Australia and someone in San Diego and somebody in Scotland, and and sure. it's like, wow, how did these people even find each other? It's amazing. So it's, you, and you can play with your uh, with your son in Phoenix yeah, now. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be great. Cool. I love that he seems like he's following in your footsteps. Does he want to go into animation as well? He he's doing animation. He oh. does, uh, but he does a little bit more like motion graphics and stuff. He he works uh, doing projections at at nightclubs. And, you know, so he does very kind of hip and cool uh, motion graphics, L- less narrative type stuff. Cool. 
Uh, sweet. Well, man, uh, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we got to wrap it up. Uh, where can people find uh, out about you? Know, you and obviously, you know, I don't know. Do you have a Twitter account? I was looking for it earlier today and I couldn't find it. So I, apologies. I have a Twitter account that I kind of basically just use to, to see what other people are doing. Oh, OK. Um, so maybe that was you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not I'm not much of a, of a poster. So. Um, so, yeah, I, ha- I have a Twitter account, which I think is just Kyle Balda. Um, but, uh, but there's, yeah, I, there's nothing there (laughs) about putting stuff up. Nice. Well, uh, uh, anything you want to, you know, uh, plug or, or point people at other than of course, you know, uh, uh, Despicable Me 3 and Minions and all the other amazing projects that you've, you mentioned on this so far. No, just to say, you know, thanks for having me on this. It's, it's just, it's really great for me to, to be meeting again, the D and D community and, and seeing what it's become. So it's, this is a really pleasure, real pleasure to talk to you guys. Awesome. Yeah, it was nice to talk to yeah, you too. Yeah, it was great talking to you. I love the the level of uh, creativity you're bringing to the yeah. hobby already. So thank your wife too. Yeah, yeah, it's been very, <laughs> exactly. very inspiring. And your and your and your son and his girlfriend yes. for, for getting you for on planting this. Planting the seed. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, I owe them a lot. <laughs> All right, Good. thanks a lot, Kyle. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. He's amazing. Uh, amazing. I want to play in that so campaign. Humble. He's just like, hmm, this yeah. is what I do for my job. I know. I just, I've made I all of these crazy movie. movies. Oh, yeah. Monsters, Inc., Toy Story 2. Just a few. Little Was there anything that he listed that you were like, oh, yeah, I love that movie. Oh, I Every love that movie. Oh, my kids love that Every movie. Every one of them. Every single one. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yep. And that he's all had these, uh, you know, these tendrils of Dungeons and Dragons storytelling through all of them. And I love that, like, how when people like, discover D&D, either rediscover or discover for the first time, they just like... Dive yeah, in. They're right. just in. Yeah. He just did a ton of research. Him and his wife are already through Curse of Strahd. I know. Or almost right? all the way through it. Props to uh, props to his wife who's like, uh, yeah, yeah, let's go right all in. Need to get her on this. I don't want to do this once a month. I want to do it all the time. Yeah, and yeah. here's some dry ice. And here's some dry ice. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with dry ice. Dry ice solves all marital problems. Why don't I we found have dry ice. Right. Just around us, we could make this stream a little fancier. It's not that expensive. Column. Can we get some dry ice, please? I mean, you got to have, like, gloves when you handle it and things. We'll get them gloves. I did a dry ice for a, for a short movie I did. Where we, did like, you? Yeah, you because know, it was supposed to be, like, a mad scientist thing. And so we got, like, this delivery of dry ice from the dry ice company and then put it in stuff. I want to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the area rug. I think that's cool. <laughs> can you guys even see the area rug? But I, Well, I feel like they it can feels, see it through us, through, through our, our actions and our feelings exactly and the right. dead light that's coming from it. What did they say it was? The dead. bounce light? The bouncing. Something was dead. Uh, uh, was it dead? Something was, it was dead. Dead light. Oh, no, it was dead sound. Dead oh, dead in the sound. Dead in the sound. <laughs> right. Dead sound <laughs> LLC. Right. Working it up. That's where we make it all happen. All right. So uh, what can we do for people who want to uh, like games? Should we tell them about where they can follow things and find out more? If you like games. Do you like games out there? Podcast listeners? Do you like board games? You can follow Avalon Hill on Twitter. Avalon Hill 2, the number 2. Or find Avalon Hill on Facebook. And I can tell that people either from this podcast or they got their copies of Betrayal at Baldur's Gate and they see the little follow us on the box because all of us we're getting like a ton of new followers. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean a ton, like a handful. I'm just going to say you got some exciting news coming up. People should be following all of your feeds in the next month or so. There might be some droppings of newses. It's time for me to vague podcast again. We're vague. We're vague. Oh, casting. you guys, there's something so good coming. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even two things. Just throwing that out there. Might um, be. 
You guys should, uh, if you're interested in board games, check out Tomb of Annihilation, uh, the board game from our friends WizKids, uh, designed with uh, some help from the Dungeons & Dragons team, all about uh, what's happening here, several scenarios. We'll be talking to the designer of that next week on uh, Dragon Talk and or in the next hour. Or (laughs) Uh, If you're watching us. (laughs) Or even sooner. Online. Uh, So, yeah, uh, you can continue to uh, take this in podcast form. We've got two episodes coming a week for the rest of 2018. Yeah, two episodes a week. We've got so many interviews. We've got to get them out faster. It's happening. Uh, but if you want to watch happening. live on Mondays, uh, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash dnd, we record these all in front of you, the viewers. Uh, it is fun and amazing at all times. Well, except when Shelly's not here. Then it's oh, just annoying. And there's a lot of like grading of sound, chalkboard sounds. But we do have a Sarah rack to hang out with, so that's cool. Um, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, if you find to find out about uh, the game that we've been talking about here, you can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com uh, to find out all about the products and other things that we've got coming down the pipe. Uh, and, uh, of course, follow us on Twitter at Wizards underscore DND for all of the latest stuff uh, there. So yeah, I think it. that's the, end, the ending announcements that we're going to get to right now. All right. Let's close it up. You want to close up the bag? Wait, what was what was the uh, uh, catchphrase? I'm supposed open, open the bag. <laughs> uh, may, oh yeah, may you always roll with advantage. Oh, you have a catchphrase. Something like that, right? Is that bad? I Is thought that... it was going to be banana. Banana advantage to you <laughs> out into the world. Thank you guys. We'll uh, be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye.